0: If you are a woman over forty dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at MIDI Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Streaming live from Stony Point, this is HudsonRiverRadio.com.
1: Good evening, everyone. Please take your seats, get out your notebooks, and focus. It's time to put on your thinking caps and explore Hudson Valley history. So call in and let's talk history with Ms. Lorenzo. The number is 845-553-9606. Class is now in session at HudsonRiverRadio.com.
2: Good evening everyone and welcome to River Radio.com and let's talk history. I'm your host Jennifer Lorenzo and I'm so glad to welcome our guests for this evening Vic DeSanto and Bonnie Daly. Vic, Dr. Vic DeSanto is a museum associate at the Iroquois Museum in Howe's Cave and a 1973 graduate of Somers High School. He is a retired New York State Historic Preservation Program analyst and a former member of the Bureau of Museum Education and Visitor Services at the New York State Museum in Albany, where he still volunteers, as well as a former historic site manager at John Brown Farm State Historic Site in Lake Placid. Bonnie Daly is a retired attorney who worked for the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, law firms and corporations, and that she's been a volunteer docent or interpreter, as well as a paid guide at several historic sites, Colonial Towns and the Naval Academy and the Smithsonian American Museum in Washington, D.C. So thank you so much for joining us, Vic and Bonnie. We're so glad to have you.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank
2: you. We're so excited. And uh, we're here to talk about Vic's latest article in the Journal of the American Revolution, uh, Major Andres Kaptur's visitor vi- Revisited, Separating Myth from Historical Reality. And you can find the article on All Things Liberty. And then the two of them are going to discuss a performance that they do, and we'll make it a surprise when they tell us all about the performance in a few minutes. So if you could first tell us what drew your interest into this topic.
1: Um, I grew up in Somers in northern Westchester. David Williams lived in uh, what is now Wackabuck. It was Salem during the war, which is right adjacent to Somers. And I had never heard of him until I moved here about 20 years ago. There's a New York State monument honoring David Williams at the Old Stone Fort, which is a county state historic site here in uh, the village of Scaheri. And he's also interred there as is his wife, Nancy. And as I started reading about this, I was really surprised to learn he was originally from Westchester County. He was originally from Terrytown, but he moved to, um, what is now Wakabuk, it was Salem back then during the war, and he stayed there to 1805 until he came up here. And I was really surprised somebody who lived that close to me actually played such a key role in the American Revolution, and I never managed to hear anything about him. I guess in Terrytown hmm. they might be a little well known, but Somers is only about 20, 25 miles from Terrytown, and I had never heard of them at all and I had taken 12 credits of American history at Westchester Community College and went on to earn a PhD and everybody knows about Benedict Arnold and growing up in West northern Westchester signs uh, and markers relating to Andre's confession and captivity in Rockland County where he's executed so I knew about that but I didn't know anything about the men that captured him. So uh, it wasn't until two years ago, I just started reading more about it, and I was surprised how all, n- not all, but many historians did a hatchet job on these three guys, uh, what I consider a hatchet job, on these three uh, militiamen who had captured Andres. So I wanted to learn more, and I started doing my own research.
2: Where and how did you do your research? <sighs>
1: I wanted to look at their militia re- records, and it was at first it seemed a little difficult because there was a fire in Washington, D.C., in which a lot of records were lost during the War of 1812. Mm-hmm. So that really killed the National Archives at the time, what was there regarding the American Revolution. In New York State, there was a fire at the state capitol where many records were lost or uh, damaged in 1911. However, In the 1890s, the federal government made a smart move of actually hand copying everything that were, all the records that were in the state archives and making a card for each record they found. And these records are all online now. So I was able to, uh, there's a a website called Fold3, uh, which has all military records of uh, of Revolutionary War veterans. So I was able to do most of the research right from my couch and my laptop
2: It's amazing all the information that's been digitized and how fantastic it just opens up the world to so many different people.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm sure these records were probably only put there recently. I thought they were there, you know, 25 years ago. So,
2: But it's a good move because I've tried to do research in other fields, too. And there was a a big fire, I think, in St. Louis with uh, some records as well. So it's hard to keep track of so many of these documents when... So many disasters have happened to them. What is the background information surrounding John Andres' capture? Because as you mentioned, it plays a lot into Rockland and Westchester history, which is where we're located. So it's a lot of interest for our readers. So what is the background information surrounding John Andres' capture?
1: You want to go into the, take this one, Bonnie, or you want me? Or... Uh,
2: no, no, you should go, by all means. <laughs> by
1: 1779, Benedict Darnold had some legitimate grievances against uh, the Army and Congress. He wasn't getting paid, he wasn't getting reimbursed for expenses, so he's bankrupt. He had been wounded twice and he was being passed over for promotion in favor of you know less distinguished officers, to be frankly. So he had some legitimate grievances. Uh, he ends up in Philadelphia. And he starts corresponding with the British in order to, you know, put out some feelers about switching sides. <laughs> Does negotiate with the, uh, a man by the name of Major John Andre, who's head of their s- Secret Service, and also the Adjutant General of uh, the Br- British Army in North America. So he's basically Gen- Sir Henry Clinton's chief of staff. He asked George Washington to put him in charge of the command at West Point. Uh, Washington agrees. West Point is a crucial narrowing narrow point on the Hudson. He works out a deal with the British to turn over West Point to the British and also to turn over George Washington. George Washington is traveling from Connecticut to West Point to meet with Arnold. And the, the plan is that he will be captured, which would be devastating for the American Revolution um they meet Andre and uh, Arnold meet in neutral territory to arrange last minute details on the west bank of have Hav- uh Hudson I believe in Hastra around there yes they meet at night in secret unfortunately the meeting goes longer than ex- uh, expected it's daybreak and also, the ship that Andre came down on, the Vulture, was fired upon from uh, Teller's Point in Croton by some American militia. So, it was forced to retrieve uh, upriver a bit. So, Arnold convinces Andre to travel uh, into American lines to finalize a deal. Now, this was a big mistake on Andre's part before he had left, he was given strict orders never to go into American territory, never to take off his uniform. If captured, give his real name and not assume a false identity and never to take in anything in writing. He does all four. Uh, They agreed to have Andre return through the neutral zone in Westchester County. So Joshua Smith, who was, uh, I think, living around your way at the time, had a big house there accompanies Arnold, uh, Andre across the Hudson throughout northern Westchester as they near the Pines Bridge crossing the Croton River. In the town of Yorktown, Smith tells Andre, the neutral zone is infested with cowboys. They'll have to travel alone. Andre proceeds. In Terrytown, he's stopped by three American militiamen. And uh, basically, one of them, John Calding, has a green Hessian uniform on. Andre thinks they're Tories. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh,
1: so he basically admit, ad- identifies himself as a British officer. They get to, ide- get him to identify himself as a British officer. Uh, they play along. They lower the broom, say they're Americans. And Andre pulls out a t- pass from Arnold, saying he's an American officer on his way to Dobbs Ferry to gather intelligence for Arnold. They're not buying it. They search him, they find <laughs> documents relating to West Point in both of his socks. And they turn him over to uh, Colonel Jameson in North Castle, where Armonk is today. The next day, Andre is brought north to uh, South Salem, where he reveals his identity in a letter of confession to uh, General Washington. So that's it in a nutshell.
2: And it all happened right here in our backyard. Oh, yeah. (laughs) What is some lore associated with uh, Andre's
1: captors? I think there's a lot of negative folklore out there that they were just out to rob him and that they were Skinners or civilian roughnecks. Um, I use the term Skinners the way the dictionary defines it, which is a kind of a paramilitary force who robs from both Americans and British equally. The original use of the word was uh, referring to Tories from New Jersey who were under General Cortland Skinner. Uh, James Fenimore Cooper wrote a book, *The Spy*, where he used the word Skinner to describe uh, Tory Bergan, uh, American brigands. Skinner uh, Cooper had married into the Delancey family, which were the leader of kind of the American loyalist group in Westchester County. They're sometimes called the Cowboys. They were known as the Delanceys Brigade. So in order to balance things out, he created Skinners as as Americans. Yeah. So I think this, this folklore about them, they, they were just trying to rob Andre's boots when they found the plans in his sock. They, you know, they uh, were, just were out to steal his watch, et cetera, et cetera. I don't believe it. They were all experienced soldiers. And I think they had a pretty good track record before and after the uh, capture of Andre. I, I think I agree. Well, and yeah. I just.
2: Go on, Bonnie. Yeah, Bond.
3: I, I just like to have Vic talk a little bit about what he discovered about the class system and what that may have contributed to um, their being uh, not appreciated as much as they probably should have been. Well, there's
1: a very big class difference between enlisted men and the officers. I mean, there still is today. And um on top of that, they were in the militia, which was kind of looked at as untrustworthy, and they were off-duty militia. Also, at the time, um, New York State had passed a law. New York, Westchester County had so many, so much trouble with uh, Tories and British coming north from New York City into Westchester to rob cattle, that they actually passed a law allowing civilians to uh, retrieve stolen cattle and claim it as prize. Huh. So pretty much, that's how a lot of these guys made any money um so they're often looked at as you know kind of sideways paying the militia was erratic i've studied their payroll records they're not paid till years and years after the war in some cases uh on top of that they were all farmers in like the mount pleasant Terrytown area so they're driven off their farms so they can't make a living the way they're used to so they kind of balance militia work and this uh, these cattle patrols or whatever and work as form hands when they can find the work but for that they're not paid they're just given a meal which is nothing more than a cornmeal pancake you know so <laughs> right. they're they're pretty desperate you know right yeah. wow
2: I didn't know that part so how will oh, yeah. we take our first break and we come back and we'll dig deep into the actual history behind the the captors so we'll be right back on hudsonoverradio.com and let's talk history
3: This is HudsonRiverRadio.com. Mercedes Kent here. Did you know you can now subscribe to all of Hudson River Radio's podcasts, including The Silver Screen? And they're always available right in our Hudson River Radio app. You can hear our podcasts anytime and anywhere. You can also sponsor one of our shows to get your message heard locally and around the world. Just shoot an email to info at HudsonRiverRadio.com and we'll get you started. That's info at hudsonriverradio.com. Subscribe to The Silver Screen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming.
1: hi this is big Jim Wheeler you know I grew up on a farm as a kid and well back in those days we didn't have much TV to watch so as a family we'd sit around the radio and we would listen to those old shows well I've become a huge fan of those classic radio shows and I'm thrilled to share my personal collection of original broadcast recordings with you well we got old Western superheroes classic stories oh we got them all check out Hudson River radios classic radio theater Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss a show. This is Big Jim Wheeler signing off and hoping you enjoy the show.
3: Subscribe to Classic Radio Theater on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: HudsonRiverRadio.com
2: Welcome back to HudsonRiverRadio.com and Let's Talk History. I'm your host, Jennifer Lorenzo, and we are so happy to welcome Vic DeSanto and Bonnie Daly this evening, and they're talking about Major Andre's captors revisited separating myth from historical reality. So we talked a little bit about the myth before. So how about we dig deep into the reality? So who was David Williams?
1: Uh, David Williams was born in Terrytown about 1754. His father was too poor to own his own farm. He farmed as a tenant on Philippe's Manor. David seems to have spent his life on his father's farm to the War, uh, Revolutionary War erupts and 10 days after the Battle of Bunker Hill, Congress approved an invasion of Canada and um, instructed New York State to raise 3000 volunteers. And one week later, July 4th, 1775, David volunteered for the 4th uh, Regiment of the New York Line of Westchester County Volunteers. So he's really one of America's first soldiers. He goes up to uh, his. Unit marches up to Albany to be outfitted. By the time they got to the Fourth Regiment, they could find nothing in sufficient quantity to make uniforms except for gray cloth. So they got gray uniform, gray uniform jackets. They uh, New York State had run out of money to buy them anything else, so they just had to make do with their civilian attire. Mm-hmm. He's stationed at um, Fort Ticonderoga to October 2nd, and about that time, it seems like he's deployed to Canada. His commanders, General Richard Montgomery, who feels his New York uh, troops are the sweepings off of the New York streets. He doesn't think too highly of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But nevertheless, he does lead them out of Crownport and Ticonderoga. They successfully uh, besiege Fort St. John. Uh, Montreal surrenders on November thirteenth. Then uh, Montgomery takes about 300 of his New York troops up to Quebec to uh, really joined forces with Benedict Arnold's troops up there. And David is at all three locations. He goes from Fort St. John's to Montreal to Quebec. Afterwards, I don't know exactly when he returned to the lower Hudson Valley. Uh, I don't think he would have been able to return to the family farm. Frederick Philippe III was one of the most powerful men in the country, and he was still in power at that time, which is early 1776, January 1776. He probably stayed north of the Croton River in Van Cortlandt territory, uh, on, in, on Van Cortlandt Manor, but I really don't know. Uh, he says he re-enlists or he enlisted in the New York state militia in the spring of 76. And he turns up in various militia units and uh, state troop regiments called levies between uh, you know, that time, the spring of 76, till his feet are frozen in 79. Mm-hmm. After that, he doesn't re enlist. New York State had different types of militia enlistments. There were the levies, which were state troop regiments, who were full time soldiers. They were three month and eight month soldiers, which kind of rotated duty. And then there was a class, which was any called when necessary. Uh, they're on call just when necessary. I think. After his feet are frozen, after January 1st, 1779, he's more or less in, the, in that class. Um, he does serve in the levees throughout 1978, I mean, 1778, where he does capture some uh, British Tories. He writes about that in an interview in 1817. And he also uh, rode on horseback to the South Bronx, Morsania, where they captured some Tory leaders and brought them back to their headquarters at Young's house. His feet are frozen. And after that, he takes several months off to recuperate. So after that, he's pretty much you know, balancing farm work with, with militia duty on call when needed and uh, on these patrols.
3: Well, and we do know that by 1780, he was on Joseph Benedict's farm, yeah. right?
1: Yeah. 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 Well, <clears throat> After his feet are frozen, he moves out of Terrytown. and he uh, becomes a farmhand on Joseph Benedict's farm in uh, Wakabuck. Joseph Benedict, mate, was a justice of peace. I don't know if he was a justice of peace at this time. And while he's there, he meets uh, Bonnie's character, Nancy Benedict, who's a little bit younger than him, (laughs) who's very well-educated. Uh, David can't read or write, but they're both Whigs or patriots. Um, Bonnie or Nancy had written to the battle of White Plains, yeah. and women couldn't, you know, you want to do that line, that's your line, Woman women couldn't.
3: Uh, <laughs> sure.
2: <laughs>
1: go ahead.
3: Just a little bit about Nancy. She's not, you know, the main focus, but she's an interesting character. Um, she was one of the 23 children of Joseph Benedict. And um, in our presentation, I mentioned that um, my father was married thrice, (laughs) in any event. um, As Vic said, she was well-educated because her father was a justice of the peace. And so she spent a lot of her time teaching others who hadn't had the benefits that she had of education. And all of the Joseph Benedict family were Whigs, Um, her brother Ambrose, four of her cousins, and obviously her father were Whigs. Um, He's one of the the several Joseph Benedicts who were patriots with the DAR. Um, In any event, yeah, it does um, mention that um, Nancy wasn't able to join the militia or the army because she was a woman. Um, but she did ride to the Battle of White Plains with other ladies um, on horseback. And they were able to bring water to the troops and um, help to treat them for wounds and injuries and sicknesses and um, just generally back up the militia and the army.
1: And the Benedicts were a land owning family, uh, which, you know, most of that land in the Hudson Valley was owned by a small group of families from, from the Bronx to uh, all the way down to the Albany area, the landlord and tenant system was still around dating back to the, you know, Dutch platoon ships. So, you know, it seems like they were, you know, a different class. And it's interesting because the story is David couldn't read or write when he was in in the militia. But he does learn how to sign his name by 1785. And when he dies, His obituary says he was fond of reading and had a passion for literature and a a huge library when he died. So I guess, you know, Nancy was the one that taught him. She was known for teaching people who didn't have the uh, education she did. That's interesting because a lot of
2: times the women's history is often not really told. So it's, it's good that we have information about Nancy Benedict. Right. Yeah. So what, are, are we going to say something else, Bonnie? Oh,
3: I was just going to ask Vic about um, what Washington and uh, Alexander Hamilton thought of uh, the three militiamen who saved their bacon.
1: <laughs> well, Hamilton and Washington thought the world of them, both in private letters and, th- and Washington wrote letters to Congress, just praising them, saying they, you know, were offered a bribe and they were men of great virtue. And Hamilton in private letters, once again, just contrasted their behavior um with the behavior of Benedict Arnold and you know mm-hmm. he just said they'll they'll be recognized by Americans forever for their great service to this country.
2: And there's a quote on the monument that's down in uh Westchester from washington and it says their conduct merits our warmest esteem they've have prevented in all probability our suffering of one of the severest strokes that could have merited been mediated against us
1: yes so it really
2: if this hadn't happened who knows how the the war would have turned
1: well an interesting thing too is that one the first uh two letters that were sent from the continental army in armont from colonel jameson uh, where Andre's letter of confession and the documents I had taken from uh, Andre that Arnold had given him. And they didn't even mention their names. You know, they just said some militia mm. men took them. Because when when, in Washington's first letter to Congress, he writes, I do not know the party who took Major Andre, but they must have been men of high character because they were, you know, I have been told they were, received the large sum and uh, rejected his bribe. And then a little later, he gets the details. And he just says, it's my pleasure to give you the name of three New York State militiamen. He really praises them. So it, was, it seems like Washington followed up. You know, The, the fact that their names weren't mentioned mm-hmm. bothered him. And he followed up and is the one that really uh, did something about to get them it to get them recognition.
2: Definitely. So we talked a little bit about David Williams. What do we know about John Paulding?
1: Uh. John Paulding is looked at the leader of the three, I think partially because he's the only one that can read when they capture Andre. So he's the only one that could actually read the documents that uh, mm-hmm. Andre had in his socks. He's able to put two and two together and partially because of his size, he's uh, six foot and very mm-hmm. stout. He's known for his feats of strength. He's known as being very, a very brave man. Uh, He's a strong patriot. He's called out for uh, militia duty when the ships, the Phoenix and the Rose, are anchored in the Tappan Zee and natural widening in the Hudson between Rockland and Westchester counties. He's on duty for six days. After that, he shows up in various militia and levy groups. Unfortunately, you know, uh, we don't know exactly where he or Williams were stationed usually. Paulding was captured at the Battle of White Plains. So it's my guess he was part of the levy group. The Westchester militia fought from the Battle of Long Island all the way down to the Battle of White Plains. He's captured at White Plains. He does escape. He's captured again in Terrytown, and he's brought uh, to the North Dutch Church in Manhattan. What
2: church is that today? Does it still have that name?
1: That I don't know. That huh, I, don't I never know. heard that. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's it's a church in northern Manhattan. I can look okay. it up for you. But he manages to escape again. There's uh, some other people from his militia u- unit that were captured with him. The first Westchester militia. He asks him to create a diversion because he's going to try to run for it. They start a brawl. The guards go to break <laughs> it up, and he vaults over a fence. A black woman who holds fruit, sells fruit to the prisoner hides him out while the British are searching for him. He's able to obtain a Hessian uniform from some friends. He walks unmolested to the Hudson River, steals a rowboat in his hut in his Hessian uniform, rows across the Hudson. He's brought to American <laughs> lines. He's brought to Lafayette, and one of the Van Cortons is there and knows him. Uh, he, you know, he served up in the um, militia with him, so he vouches for him. He's brought back across the river to northern Westchester to his militia group, and four days later he catches Andre still wearing his uh, Hessian uniform, huh. and that's what. You know, kind of set this whole chain of events off. Andre saw this test in uniform and thought they were Tories. Also, um, after that, he's captured one last time. He uh, participates on a raid to Mauricania on uh, to one of the Delancey houses. The Tories track him back to northern Westchester and he's wounded severely. His legs bayoneted very, very badly. He ends the war in a British prison hospital. Wow. That's pretty much what I know about his war war record. Wow.
2: Were there any other individuals involved that we should mention?
1: Uh, David's cousin, Isaac Van Wart, was one of the three that was with them. Uh, He was 20. So he's the quietest one of the uh, bunch. He does write an affidavit in uh, 1817, which outlines his A couple of affidavits, one in 1817, one in 1825, which tells his side of the story. Then there were four others uh, that were at Davis's Hill, which was about a half a mile away from uh, the brook where uh, it's called Andre's Brook now. It was Davis's, uh, Davis's kill uh, during the war. And uh, two of them, let's see uh i abraham williams and james romer were only 16 years old Uh, and the other two uh john yerkes lives a long time he lives till he's 87 so he's still writing affidavits like 1845 about the capture of andre so a lot of what we know really is from his uh various interviews that he did and another one uh Let's see, there was a corporal there. What was his name? Uh, I can't remember his name right now. Uh, Isaac Zay. Isaac Zay, I don't know too much about him. There's another man, uh, a sergeant, John Dean. He may or may not have been there. He did. My theory is he joined them after they captured Andre along the way because he does turn in Andre with them. He was actually a sergeant. He served with David Williams on the Canadian campaign and uh actually served in the militia and the levies just as david did i mean their their records are pretty similar they're in a lot of the same units
2: right so what does your article that was um recently published in the journal of the american revolution on all finalize about these men what what are your final thoughts on them
1: well a lot of the A recent article in a popular history magazine, I think it's called American History, called them civilian roughnecks. And I think, you know, there's enough documentation shown that they're soldiers. I mean, they may have been off duty on a patrol looking to retrieve stolen cattle, but that was legal at the time. And they all have good military records before and after. Uh, Abraham Williams, I mentioned he was only 16. He serves in the New York State uh, troop regiments called Levees after the capture of Andre. Romer was only 16. He had done a tour in the in the Levees. David and Paulding did tours in the Levees, and so did Dean. Dean was actually a quartermaster sergeant in the Levees, uh, which was the second highest rank behind a sergeant major. They were accused uh, by uh, Major Benjamin Talmadge. Well of being the class of men that often switch sides in the war and can be found in the enemy's camp as well as our own. And there's no record of desertion or even any type of behavior problems at all in any of their records. They all have clean military records. So, um, you know, like I said- Well, and it,
3: it was Washington who arranged for their lifetime pensions. Yeah. He clearly believed that they were heroes.
1: Yeah, he was a good judge of character, as was Hamilton. Absolutely. So, um, I think that's the myth that they were either for thieves just out to rob Andre and got lucky catching a spy when it shows they were experienced soldiers and they were shrewd. I mean, holding was the <laughs> only one that read. all these guys signed their payroll records with an X. David Williams learns how to sign his with a five eight, 1785. But at the time, they're all signed their name with an X. So even though they weren't well educated, they had done, seen a lot of military service, and the, you know they, they were shrewd. Andre was a smooth character. He had done undercover work before, and he did have a pass. And discipline in the army was strict. I mean, if indeed he had been on a mission from Arnold, they would have been in a lot, they would have been lashed. I mean, they would have been in a lot of trouble. So um, Williams actually is shrewd in dealing with Andre where he keeps asking him questions and he gets Andre finally to reveal that he's a British officer. And then they know uh, that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, there's no turning back then. So they turn him in. Right.
2: And, and you've mentioned Hamilton. And one of the famous lines from the play is, who lives, who dies, who tells your story. So it's good that you're telling the story of their bravery and heroism, since other people tend Setting- to not have that thought
4: yeah, the, yeah it,
2: setting
1: I, the record straight yes
3: <laughs> that's right
1: so i'm sorry what are you gonna say i was gonna say there's there's a good book on the capture uh of andre about bennett Arnold, the whole affair it's it's a well-known uh history book it's probably the standard texas used. there's like maybe one paragraph on these guys and there was a movie made out of it by the history channel uh kelsey Grammer plays george washington it's a good movie, but the same thing—they show these. They don't tell the story of the ordinary working people that actually saved the day by by stopping him, by refusing his bribe, and by doing the right thing during him Right, in, and not falling for his his deception.
2: Right. So, how do you think this article can help us to understand the Revolutionary War?
1: Well, I think it shows that there's stories of the average soldier out there that are waiting to be told. People have been doing hatchet jobs on these seven Mm. guys for 200 years. And as far as I know, I'm the first one that's ever pulled up their military records and tried to tell their story. I admit it's incomplete. There's only so much I can tell. People, If people have done it before, they haven't published anything on it because there's not much out Mm -hmm. there. Well, I think, yeah, everyone...
3: Oh, I'm sorry. American no.
1: history is oh, more than just the generals and the colonels and the officers. Exactly. And this whole story exactly. is more than just Andre and Arnold and Peggy Shippen. You know, I'm glad Bonnie agreed to join me on our presentation because I think uh, her character is, is probably had more influence than Peggy Shippen ever did and we don't know anything about Nancy Benedict.
2: Right. And like I said so many times, the women's story is either unwritten or not told. And and we don't know much about them. So so how about we take a break and then we'll talk about their performance um, when we come back here on HudsonRiverRadio.com. And let's talk history.
0: HudsonRiverRadio.com. Hi, this is Allison
3: Turkin. Did you know you can now subscribe to all of our Hudson River Radio podcasts, including Getting Dirty? You can also sponsor one of our shows to get your message heard locally and around the world. Just shoot an email to info at HudsonRiverRadio.com and we'll get you
0: started. That's info at HudsonRiverRadio.com. Subscribe
3: to Getting Dirty on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, or wherever you get your
0: podcasts. Did you know you can now subscribe to all of Hudson River Radio's podcasts, including Paranormally Yours, and they're always available right in our Hudson River Radio app. You can also sponsor one of our shows to get your message heard locally and around the world. Just shoot an email to info at HudsonRiverRadio.com and we'll get you started. That's info at HudsonRiverRadio.com. Subscribe to Paranormally Yours on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart,
3: or
2: wherever you get your podcasts.
4: HudsonRiverRadio.com
2: Welcome back to HudsonRiverRadio.com and Let's Talk History. I'm your host, Jennifer Lorenzo. And as I mentioned before, we're joined by Vic DeSanto and Bonnie Daly. And they're about to tell us about the performance that they have written and Already and eager to perform and to tell the story of and more details about the Andre capture. So tell us about your performance. What, made, what led you to write the performance?
1: Well, it was during COVID. At the time, Bonnie and I were on the Board of Trustees at the Old Stone Fort, where David's monument is. And a lot of um, historical agencies were doing Zoom presentations. So... idea at first was just to just to do a five-minute like a 15-minute zoom presentation about uh the monument and the more research i did the more interested i got and it just kind of grew into this monster where it's a full hour program with us we have a musicians song and everything so and then i I dragged bonnie and do it to play my wife because i thought um (laughs) <laughs> I thought the whole Nancy Benedict story was interesting. Well, I
3: was me. so delighted that Dick asked me.
1: So, so that's it. And I, I didn't yeah, really know too yeah. much about him until two years ago. And I didn't know anything about him. I didn't even know he even existed until I moved up here 20 years ago. So that's pretty much mm-hmm. how I got started on it.
2: So we talked a little bit before about uh, Nancy Benedict, but could we tell her story? Why is she important? Well, let me see. I suppose
3: partly because, as you said, the story of the women generally isn't told, um, and there are and Vic has, I think, found them all. There are very short references to her throughout the um, the histories, and so we do know a little bit more about her than about some other women. But um, I think primarily because she was part of a a family of you know, very loyal Whigs who were all loyal, you know, to the Patriot cause and to George Washington. And it kind of shows, well, one of the quotes that um Vic came across during the um his research was that by the end of the war, by 1783, um a crow flying across Westchester County wouldn't have been able to find anything to eat. Huh. <laughs> And the county was that ravaged and savaged by the war. And here's a family that not only survived, but essentially prospered throughout the war. And then, you know, um, David and Nancy were married, settled on land that was given to him by New York State. And then he sold that. They uh, He bought land from Nancy's father and they lived near the the Benedict family for some time and eventually moved up to Schoharie County in 1805.
1: Yeah, I think Mm -hmm. it's it's important. That's most of it. Yeah, I think it's important because David is often looked at as kind of this hero with an asterisk, yeah, he captured Andre, but he was really trying to rob him. Nancy's father was a justice of the peace. Nancy was an educated woman. David had served with Nancy's brother Ambrose in the uh, at Fort Ticonderoga, and several of her cousins. One of her cousins right. was a captain who was, you know, right lived right next door to where uh, his name was also Joseph Benedict, who lived right next door <laughs> to his cousin. And uh, the Benedict had one drops out of Yale to to enlist, and he's up mm-hmm. at Fort Ticonderoga with David. So, you know, David like is always looked at as this kind of shady character in some mm-hmm. circles, but it shows that they seem to have accepted him into his family. And he does learn to read and write. He does uh, buy his own farm, and I don't think they would have really wanted much to do with him if he was out stealing cattle and uh, plundering and terrorizing mm-hmm. okay. the countryside you know, during the war. And there was that going on. There were people that said they were Whigs or patriots who stole from both sides and mm-hmm. who robbed everybody. But I, I just don't see him doing it, not Mm-mm. due to his association with you know, with the Benedict family.
2: Oh, sorry. Well,
3: and one of the, uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry, it was, um, anyway, one of the things that I thought maybe we should mention, I mean, everyone knows this, of course, but, um, Benedict Arnold was a tragic figure. There's no question about it. I mean, yes, he was a traitor, but he was also a a tragic figure. And Major Andre was a a spy, a con artist, a charmer, and um, uh, um, a social climber, (laughs) and a good friend of Peggy Shippen's. (laughs)
2: Interesting. Peggy is involved in so many different aspects of the the story. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So in doing your research, did you rely a lot on the primary sources?
1: Do you find I I started with the secondary sources and actually once um, I started writing biographies, I used the primary sources and as I said, I'm surprised nobody had ever published anything on their military records before, because people like to make generalizations and mischaracterize. You know, historians, some quite distinguished, like to make mischaracterizations and uh, do hatchet jobs on these guys without really checking who they were. And American history—it's—it's it's easy to pick up. Talmadge's memoir, and get his side of the story. But when you're doing working class history, you got to dig a little deeper, and that's what I was trying to tell the story from their point of view. Right. So I had to rely on uh, primary sources because there's not much in the secondary sources at all. The, there. They never even, as far as I can tell, left anything about their military experience until Talmadge accused them in uh 1817 of trying to rob bondry because at that time uh van wart writes an affidavit talmadge writes an affidavit and uh david makes a statement to an attorney and he's also interviewed by the albany advertiser in 1817 and he talks about his military experiences and i was able to take uh some of the things he talked about and line them up with the records in the middle in the federal archives to show that he was telling the truth.
2: Those archives are are Mm a wealth of information. So do you have any other plays Mm -hmm. in the works or any other research articles in the works?
1: Well, I'm writing another (laughs) article um, on Andre's captors in popular culture, The Rise and Fall. After Andre is captured, there's a ballad about John Paulding that is very popular. Later on in 1803, there's a play written by william dunlap who's known as the father of american drama about it's called the glory of uh columbia or her, her yeomanry a very funny capture, play <laughs> It's about the capture of uh andre and it's it's really about david uh balding and van wart and the way the public viewed them you know it's it's like they're the epitome uh, of, of the model new American, you know, this Jeffersonian independent farmer who's trustworthy and honest. And, and you know, it's the, the place available on Amazon, you should really read it. And now, if you look at the way they're portrayed in popular media today, if anybody saw Washington spies, it's almost exactly opposite what I think really happened. And that's based on a, a book it's also titled washington spies which shows uh which was on a new york times bestseller list which shows these guys as just folks who are up mm-hmm. to rob andre andre even wrote in a letter to clinton the day after he was captured that he's being treated well in captivity there's no evidence that he was roughed up huh. so um mm. i think uh that's what i'm working on now
2: sounds like a plan well Vic Desanto and Bonnie Daly, thank you so much for coming and being on. Let's talk history here on Radio dot com. We enjoyed having you, and you're welcome back anytime to talk about any other performances or research or anything else. So, thank you for joining us. And you're I welcome. just want to mention. Oh, so-, so, thank you. Any any parting words or anything before you head off?
1: Uh, come up and see us. The Old Stone Fort on September six September 17th, Saturday.
2: There you go. A nice way to spend Constitution Day. Yeah. So repeat uh-huh. that. And do you have um is it on the Old Stone Fort website probably also?
1: Not yet. They're just finalizing the schedule now, but it will be.
2: Nice. So September 17th, Constitution Day. Spend a nice day at Old Stone Fort and learn more about what you heard about tonight. So Vic and Bonnie, thank you so much for joining us here on Hutchinson Radio, and let's talk history. Welcome. Thank Thanks for you. having us. You're welcome. Thank you. And just thank before you. we go, I just want to mention one event coming up this Saturday at the Stony Point Battlefield. There's an evening battlefield lantern walk at 8 p.m., and you can uh, contact the Stony Point Battlefield and Lighthouse for reservations. So thank you for joining us here on Radio.com. Add the September 17th performance to your calendars. Thank you to Neil, our trusty board operator, and go out and make history. And don't forget to like and subscribe to our podcasts. Have a great evening.